The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious Serious Fun. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Serious Fun. As always, I am your host and creator, Dr. Brian Carr. And uh, these next few weeks are pretty special. It's been a while, but we were able to actually have a live, in-person Brown County Library PopCon event. It's been about uh, 2019 was the last time we had one. Obviously, a lot of stuff has happened in the world since then. But we're back. It was really great to be there and uh, recorded three live episodes of Serious Fun at that event on the 1st. So the next few weeks of Serious Fun are going to be all of those episodes. So if you weren't able to attend, this is a great chance to kind of catch up on what you missed. Uh, our first one is going to be an interview with Lori M. Lee, the acclaimed award-winning author of novels like Pahua and the Soul Stealer. Um, she's going to talk about her work, her life, her sort of growing up and kind of turning that into a book and many, many other things, including a lot of discussion about Kingdom Hearts. I'm not sure where that came from. Uh, but that, we spent a good amount of time on it. So uh, please enjoy. Uh, and thanks again to all the staff and everybody at the Brown County Library. So excited for this event to be back and can't wait for next year. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Serious Fun. Thrilled to be coming to you once more live to tape from the 2022 Brown County Library PopCon. It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a PopCon to attend. But finally, we can all get down, get together, sit down, and nerd out. I am your host and snarky spirit cat, Brian Carr. For those of you who may not be familiar with Serious Fun, every episode of this show, which is part of the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay's Phoenix Studios Podcast Network, is an exploration of pop, of pop culture for those who create, study, and consume it as we seek out the craft, meaning, and purpose of the media and entertainment we consume. And that means today I get to talk to one of those incredible creators, Lori M. Lee. Lori here writes speculative and fantasy fiction, including the Shaman Born series, Gates of Thread and Stone, has contributed to anthologies like A Thousand Beginnings and Endings and Color Outside the Lines. Her latest, the extremely, extremely charming Pahua and the Soul Stealer, is the winner of the 22 Wisconsin Library Association's Elizabeth Burr uh, Warzala Award and the 2022 Mythopaic Fantasy Award for Children's Literature it is available right now anywhere you can buy books, including out there in the lobby from Lion's Mouth, and of course right here at the Brown County Library. Uh, please, everybody, give a warm, warm welcome to Lori M. Lee. Thank you. Hi, Lori. Hi. How are you doing today? Not terrible. Not terrible. Thank you. That's that's a good that's a good bar to set. <laughs> not not awful. If we can if we can at least clear that, we're good. Um, so I want to start off uh, with, I, I usually, when I, when I talk to folks on this podcast, I ask them to tell me their story, right? How you got here, what led you down here. Tell me the Lori M. Lee story. How did you become interested in writing and what motivated you? How much time do you have? Uh, we got, <laughs> it, I mean, basically until uh, Gillian tells us that we have to leave. Okay. <laughs> um, so I've, I've known that I wanted to be a writer 
a really long time, ever since I was young, like I'm talking elementary school young, I knew that I wanted to be a writer. Um, I was reading books that were probably incredibly inappropriate for an elementary schooler, like of horror, of R.L. Stein, like Fear Street, not the Goosebumps. I was like such a little brat. I was like, Goosebumps is not scary. You hit the hard stuff early. Yeah, I hit yeah. the hard stuff. And like the scary stories to tell in the dark were like hugely popular then. Um, and and then I was, the, my sisters were reading romance novels, so that was wildly inappropriate. I was like <laughs> stealing those from them. Um, so every young writer, you know, um, begins by imitation, right? So I was writing these horror stories about teenagers who fell in love and then were gruesomely murdered by a ghost mm. because obviously. Um, yeah, and then from there, uh, I had like a, a Greek mythology phase, which if you know who Rick Riordan is, he writes the Percy Jackson series, um, which is about Greek mythology. And then, and then I began writing my first book by hand, because this was before, like, you know, everybody at home Everybody had their home computers, whatever. <laughs> just really dated myself. But um, but I wrote like 300 pages by hand, and I had like this massive callus on my finger that I was like stupidly proud of. I'm like, this is this proves that I'm a writer. It was dumb. <laughs> and then um, I worked on that one book for years because you know this was when I was in high school and then into college, and you just didn't really have the time, right? Um, and I came to accept that I just wasn't ready for publication. My writing itself was not ready, even though I really wanted it. So I was willing to put that aside and, you know, focus on um, my craft while I was in college. I majored in creative writing, but I minored in um, web design because I'm not about the starving artist life. That's not for me. <laughs> um, uh, and also, I got married and had, you know, had a family, so there was that too. Um, so I started writing fan fiction. That was the way I stayed in. Uh, yes, that was the way I stayed in uh, the writing world. Is that I wrote so much fan fiction. So I gotta ask before we move on, what kind of fan fiction are you writing? I was writing for anime fandoms, so Naruto, uh -huh. um, D. Grayman. Mm -hmm. Kingdom Hearts. Uh, Kingdom Hearts. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> really, really uh, popular with the crowd there. <laughs> yes. Um, so I did that for quite a few years, and I, I loved it. You know, and it actually, to be completely honest, it taught me so much more about writing than my uh, actual college degree did. Mm -hmm. um, because my, my, I had great professors, but... Fan fiction and the fan fiction community and the writers you could find there, they are some of the best that I have ever read, like published or not. Um, and they taught me that it all comes down to character. Every story comes down to the character. If you love a character enough, you'll follow them literally anywhere. Um, so there's that. And then in 2010, 2009, something like that, I, I was like, so I've been doing this fan fiction thing for quite a few years now, and maybe I should go back to that pub wanting to publish original stuff. Um, 
it, it was a vital part of like my writing journey, learning from the fan fiction community and like fan fiction writing. But ultimately, that's not what I wanted to do long term. I wanted to be published. Um, so I jumped in with NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. And it's the month of November. You write 50,000 words in one month, and then you die. Um, and then, so I decided, if I'm gonna do this thing, I'm just gonna, you know, dive head first, apparently. Um, I began with a rough outline, and I, you know, started writing every day, and I completed it. I did the 50,000 in one month, but I was so burned out that I couldn't touch that manuscript for like six months. Um, but it did teach me three really vital things about my writing process. And the first is that I'm not a pantser, which is what we call someone who writes from by the seat of the pants. Mm -hmm. I'm an outliner. I have to plot. I have very detailed plots. I have 50 pages of outlined plot before I even like get into uh, writing the story itself. So I learned that about myself. And the second thing I learned about myself is that competition really works for me because <laughs> it's so petty uh, because I would, you know, I would sign up with my friends and it was a friendly competition, you know, but I would see their um, word counts rising every day and I'm like, I'm going to beat you. So I that feel, worked. <laughs> I feel like an important part and an underrated part of friendship is the desire to just completely crush them, right? <laughs> the people that you are just, you know, you trust with your life, your family, you just want to see them, you just be better than them. See, you get it. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the last thing, was, and the most important thing, I guess, is that I learned I could do it. You know, mm -hmm. that was the most important thing. Like, I did it once and I can do it again. And that was like massively important for my uh, confidence in being able to like um, write more books and since then that is how I draft now you know I just like I create an obscenely detailed outline and then I just bash out the first draft in like four weeks so that if anyone is thinking about you know writing whatever that's definitely like a crash course into figuring out what works for you um, or a mental breakdown, one or the other. Um, yeah, and then, let's see, <laughs> I lost my train of thought, because I got trapped in NaNoWriMo. Oh, trauma, okay. <laughs> um, okay, so that book sucked, mm -hmm. uh, but I still queried with it, I queried agents. Um, oh, wait, okay, rewind. So there's we're lucky to live in a time where there's a lot of different paths to publication. Um, there's self-publishing. You literally just finish whatever you want, throw it on Amazon, and you're done, right? Some people do it extremely well. Um, but it was really important to me, because I'm writing for teen and you know younger audiences and things like that, it was really important to have my books available in libraries and in bookstores and schools. And the only way to do that unless you like you know suddenly become a mega bestseller or like unless your book goes viral like you know um your self-published book goes viral it's not going to happen um so the only way to do that is to be traditionally published and you have to go through an agent for that um because the major publishers like you know like disney like macmillan um simon and schuster they don't take unsolicited manuscripts you have to go through an agent 
So the first step was querying agents. So I queried agents with this book that I had written for NaNoWriMo, and it was god-awful. Um, and I got, like, maybe a hundred or so rejections on it, which I still have in my email inbox because I guess I like torture. Um, but while I was querying that, I wrote another book, which is what would become Gates of Thread and Stone. Um, and I took everything I learned uh, from you know the first book and then put it into the second book and I queried with it. And then, um, yeah, luckily an agent liked the book and offered representation, and then we went on what we call submission, which is just the agent submits the books to um, editors at various publishers. Um, I was lucky enough to have it acquired by a publisher, and then that became my debut novel in 2014. Nice. So uh, it's clearly, you know, it's, it's been a success story, right? You're coming in, and I just love the idea, you know, just as a fellow kind of like internet kid, it's nice to always see someone who kind of grew up in that landscape, I guess, for lack of a more family appropriate term, and come out of it and just really make something great. Um, so, you know, you mentioned that you've done, you've done fan fiction, that kind of thing, but you, so you seem like a pretty studious consumer of pop culture as well as a creator of such. What inspires your writing? What are your major influences? It's like a really nice way of saying you're a geek. I mean, we're, we, that ship's already sailed. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're look look where we're at. <laughs> what has inspired my writing? Um, well, uh, I mentioned some of them: Arl Stein, mm -hmm. Fear Street. Like I've, I actually was such a wuss about horror. Like once I got a little older, which is weird because I devoured like horror as a younger kid and apparently the older you get, the more chicken you get, I don't know. Um, but, but then I feel like I've come full circle because I've been listening to so many paranormal and true crime paranormal podcasts and then it's like so interesting. I started like um, watching all these like ghost hunter shows. <laughs> like I love them. Um, and I don't know, that just, it, it's fascinating to me now. It's less scary, more fascinating. Mm. So I think I've come full circle. And also in Force of Souls, I really leaned into the horror in that one, which was really fun to write. And I would like to write, you know, more of a horror, whatever, in the future. Um, but also fantasy, and I'm going to be a total cliche here, and I read The Hobbit when I was uh, very young, um, sometime in elementary school. My mom used to just drop us off at the library, um, me and my sisters, and then she's just like, okay, bye, I'll see you later. And <laughs> like, we were like young, like 10, 11, 12, like that, and we just like hung out at the library all afternoon. This was our babysitter, basically. Um, I just did not paint my mom in a good light. My mom is great, <laughs> she's, she's great. Um, but, but I read The Hobbit as I was exploring the library, like it was my own house. Um, and I just fell in love with it, completely and utterly in love with it. And I wanted to write that kind of sprawling fantasy, um, you know, with this, these epic stakes and just, it was so cool to me. And my first uh, novel that I worked on for many, many years and I wrote by hand, that one definitely, you can definitely see the Tolkien influences in there, you know. Um, 
And also it was a, like a shameless self-insert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because of course it was. This is your first novel. Um, so that. Uh, and then, yeah, as I got older, just those two, I think, mm-hmm. have been like the foundation of everything else that's followed. Um, yeah, I don't. No, that's, and that's great. And I think you can certainly see, you know, we talk about like homages and, and influences, right? That's a pivotal kind of thing. But you've, you know, definitely gone in a sort of more unique, personalized direction that we can definitely talk about here. Um, so you have several series, and we've got many on the screen behind us, but this is just, you know, this is, this is in all of them. This is just a small sample of the work you put out. Um, for those in the audience who may not be familiar with, you know, the Shaman Born series or Pahua, um, or any of your other work, but are interested. I see some of you already got some of the books, so that's great. Um, what's the premise? Like, what could people expect from Pahua in particular? Pahua and the Soul Stealer is about um, a girl who can see spirits and not just like in the I see dead people kind of way, um, but the she can see hu- or, um Animal spirits, nature spirits, guardian spirits, uh, demons, um, water spirits. She's, she's just like the world is like, you know, filled with all these things for her mm-hmm. that no one else can see. So, and her best friend is a talking cat spirit. Um, and so she's that weirdo at school who talks to herself basically because no one else can see who she's talking to. And she's hyper aware of this. Um, and on top of that, she's, you know, one of the few um, kids of color at this majority white school, and it's a new, completely new neighborhood, a new community that they've moved to, and so she's kind of dealing with a lot. Um, so what happens is that, you know, some kids invite her to, to play around this bridge that she knows to be haunted, but because she sort of, she really wants to connect with the other kids, she goes along, and she accidentally freeze the spirit that is uh, trapped at this bridge. Um, And then, you know, her brother gets sick and she worries that this spirit has taken his soul, um, which is a thing in Hmong culture. Mm -hmm. Um, So she gathers up her aunt's shaman tools and she returns to the bridge and she's going to demand her brother's soul back and instead she summons a demon. Well done. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, um, so... It goes from there. She has to travel into the spirit realm. Uh, She has a shaman warrior friend and guide with her. She's got her best friend, talking cat, um, for the sassy commentary. Um, And then, you know, she has to find her brother and save him before he uh, before he dies, essentially. So this is uh, something, and, and so this is definitely a book that's kind of more in uh, uh, what we call mid-grade. What, what's, what kind of category we put this? Yeah, middle yeah. grade. Yeah, and then you have the Shaman Born series, which is more of a young adult approach. Um, what's the, just a quick elevator pitch on that one? On Force of Souls, the Shaman Born uh, series? Yeah, Shaman Born. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, so it's about a girl named Saoirse. She uh, discovers that she has the ability to shepherd souls, which you can see the similarities between mm-hmm. this one and that one. Um, and this is not a spoiler. It is literally on the dust jacket. Her best friend dies, um, and then she brings her best friend back to life, which is how she discovers she has this ability. So um, she is tasked uh, with destroying what's called the Deadwood, which is an ancient forest filled with vengeful spirits that eat people. Um, and it is dividing the kingdoms, and um, she is tasked with destroying it. 
So how do you approach, because these are obviously stories aimed at different audiences, even though there may be thematic similarities, how do you approach writing a kind of younger skewing series like Papua compared to Forest of Souls and the rest of the Shaman Born series? So I think my, my writing voice naturally skews young adults. Mm -hmm. Cause like I said, I was writing about teenagers mm -hmm. since I was very young, since before I was a teenager. And admittedly, I was writing about them dying gruesomely, but I mean, still. <laughs> well, I mean, you think about it, like teenagers dying gruesomely has been a hallmark of pop culture, both from slasher films and 1950s pop songs. So it's Legit. just, you're just absolutely following, building on uh, a foundation. Thank you for that justification. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Um, so I never actually expected to write middle grade because I didn't think I would have the voice for it. Um, when I heard that Rick Ryden was going to head this new imprint mm -hmm. at Disney, I was like, oh my God, it would be so cool to write for that. Um, but I was like, no, I guess I'll never be able to because I don't write middle grade. Um, shows how much you know. <laughs> um, so I sort of like just ignored it for like a couple years. And then I got this idea for Pohua. And I was like, it's only going to work as a middle grade because it's too ridiculous. Like, I can't make this more serious, mm -hmm. you know, like for like a, um, a slightly older audience. Like, it, it has to be middle grade because in middle grade, you can really embrace the silliness and the goofiness. And like, that's not to say there's also, there's not serious topics in it because there are. But with Pahua, I mean, I was really able to just go all out and give her like a talking cat for a best friend, you know. And the cat's fantastic. I just want to put that out there. I love the cat. <laughs> or like, you know, frogs that spit out ponds of water. Um, but to prepare myself for this, I had to listen to um, middle grade books on audio, audiobooks. I listened to them straight for like a month. Nothing but middle grade audiobooks to like get my mind into like that, to get my writing mind, I guess, into um, that sort of mindset. Um, of a younger audience. Um, and like writing for middle grade isn't like dumbing things down. That's not what it is because kids are smart as heck and they're super perceptive. Um, I have a nine-year-old and he literally calls me out on everything. <laughs> <sighs> but, but it is, you know, they, it is fun to write middle grade in that, you know, like I said before, you get to embrace that sort of silliness and goofiness and um, you don't have to linger too long on like the, the more serious topics because kids are smart, but they're also like have the um, attention span of a flea. Mm -hmm. Not that I know what a flea's attention span is, but it just seems like it would be very narrow. They don't seem super studious fleas. They don't seem you know? very yeah, focused on things. Maybe that's something you can explore in, in the next book. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so just it was the most fun I've ever had writing a book actually well certainly you know I, I don't have kids of my own I have nieces and nephews and you know as I'm as I'm reading through this the, the voice rings true like this is how kids especially around that age start thinking and talking and um that is you know so so it's definitely a success on that front 
Um, I, I want to ask you though, because one of the things I found fascinating about this book, and if you have a copy of it, as many of you do uh, in front of you, um, you have uh, not only some lovely essays at the beginning uh, by uh, Rick Riordan, and then of course you have another one at the end that kind of puts this in the context of your own personal experience, but you also have a, uh, a full kind of glossary and pronunciation guide. And this I found incredibly helpful. So um, yeah, I am married um, to a Hmong woman, and so I know bits and pieces, the words in here and there, but it's a very challenging language um, to learn because it's not just the pronunciation, it's also you know the, the pitch and cadence, and there's a melodic element to it. Um, and so this I found really, really helpful because this, you know, uh, not only did I learn some words that I didn't know before, um, it also really just kind of illustrates just how significant and kind of like important the culture is to this story. Um, so I want to talk about that for a moment. You know, what challenges do you face implementing Hmong culture into your works? And you've mentioned in other interviews you feel a lot of responsibility on that front. Yeah, I mean, we don't see a lot of representation. Mm -hmm. Like Hmong specifically, we don't get like any representation. Um, most people don't even know what Hmong is, mm -hmm. or didn't know what Hmong is until Suni Lee, who is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, so I, when I was like planning this book, I was hesitant because I was afraid of like the criticism I would receive, mm -hmm. not just from like the outside community, but from the Hmong community. Um, because I guess we're, we're very, um, especially the elders, we're very protective of our culture, you know, mm -hmm. because it is, it is, we are losing it essentially mm -hmm. in, in America. A lot of the younger kids, you know, can't speak or write Hmong. I cannot write Hmong. Um, I can read it mm -hmm. out from, through context, you know, and I can speak it terribly, but um, like my, my kids, they can't speak Hmong. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a thing that, you know, the younger generations are losing. So, like, the elders in the communities, they're very protective of the culture. And, like, you know, they want to maintain, you know, whatever. Um, but, like, for me, I just, I had to write it from my own mm -hmm. perspective, from what I wanted. What I wanted when I was a kid was books like this that showed me in, like, fantasy adventures having, you know, the hero's journey and having, like, discovering magic powers and, you know, having talking best friends. Wait, best friends talk. Talking animal best friends. <laughs> that would be weird. Um, but I didn't see any of that growing up. And I sort of internalized the idea that in order to be the hero of these stories, in order to have that happy ending, I could, could not be myself. Mm -hmm. um, so it... Like, I took that internalized hatred with me through, you know, all through high school and into college and, you know, wishing that I was different or that I didn't, I wasn't the way I was. And then it wasn't until college when I discovered, like, um, Asian media, you know, like anime and um, J-dramas or K-dramas and J-pop and J-rock and, like, K-pop and all that stuff and, like, Chinese dramas and stuff that I was, that I finally saw myself represented and I, and I loved it, you know, and I was finally able to learn to embrace who I was mm -hmm. versus, you know, wishing I was different. So with Pahua, I was, 
I, I had this fear of like, you know, the, the um, any potential backlash from the community, but I was like, I don't care, I'm gonna do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Because I'm writing this book for kids who are like me, who, who like desperately need to see themselves represented in these books and to know that just because they don't look like the majority, they can still, they still have a place in fantasy and in, you know, adventure stories and in Tolkien, dang it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, the the backlash to the greater level of diversity in the Rings of Power series in particular is um, upsetting in a really significant way for the reasons you're stating. Right, this is a you know you clearly found something in these stories that spoke to you, and now you know we're trying to open the door and let more people into them, and it's just uh, the gatekeeping has really been uh, terrible. Um, yeah, in um. The Hobbit, which one was it? One of the movies. Why were there three? I don't, I don't know. know why they made three. <laughs> right? It's like, this why is not there that... Three? You, you could knock this out in 90 minutes, honestly. Yeah. But one of the movies, there is one of the, um, I guess, refugees um, was an Asian woman, mm -hmm. you know? And I saw that just flash on the screen for like literally half a second, maybe a second. And I was just like, oh my God! You know? Because it meant the world to me that... Mm -hmm. Tolkien's world could contain people who looked like me. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you go online and there's this massive, like, you know, all the racists have come to the mm -hmm. Lonely Mountain. Yeah. Um, and it's just, oh my God. But, but yeah, that meant the world to me, yeah. you know? And I know, like, that meant a lot to other people too. So I, mm -hmm. want, I wanted my book to be like that. And that's a really interesting point. Like, the idea of just, you know, having those moments and kind of holding on to them. Right. Um, you know, obviously, as a white male, I have no shortage of options for heroes in the media. Right. Um, but this is something like, you know, when I talked to my nieces and nephews, they like my nieces loved the Street Fighter Chun-Li movie with Kristen Crook. Um, and I didn't have the heart to like, you know, but and, and I'd watched that movie before they told me this. And I'm just like sitting there smiling, just like this. This was the worst movie I've ever seen. But like, you know, they don't have a lot of stories like that so it's kind of you, you, they almost kind of have to latch on to what they can find right like I mean I don't know if you had any other thoughts on this because I think that's just like an important part of this yeah for sure I think I was lucky a little bit too growing up um, my brother was really heavily into the wuxia movies mm -hmm. and so he he brought those around a lot and I watched a lot of those and I absolutely loved them you know but that was when I was very young and then and then not to be like somber but he, he passed away mm -hmm. and then you know that that really became not a part of my life anymore, and mm -hmm. I was just surrounded by, you know, the pop culture of you know, America, American pop culture, and um, I lost all that, you know, that connection to, like, the, the wuxia movies and the Asian media and stuff, and I, like I said, I didn't discover that again until college. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and the hope maybe is that, you know, uh, a kid in your situation might pick this up and see themselves, and it's, it's really kind of beautiful that, that you could bring that to the world, so... Um, I don't have anything else to say, I just think that's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a bit more about some of the other aspects. So I want to come back to this idea, because I think uh, Pahua is just a really well-drawn character. Um, how much of your own childhood, because you mentioned that this is you know, a character you wanted to see when you were a kid, so is, are you going back to your own childhood and putting that in there? You mentioned you have a family of your own, are you putting your own kids in there? Where, where's kind of the voice and kind of the inspiration for this character coming from? Um, well, certain elements, I would say, are inspired by things that I've gone through, what I went through when I was a kid, like, you know, the microaggressions and the responsibilities placed on, like, very young children um, 
but I also didn't want her to like you know, I, she's not me like mm -hmm. she, like she's her she is her own character she has certain parts that maybe were inspired from when I was little but she's like way cooler than I ever was <laughs> yeah I would have run screaming from that bridge um Yeah, like, it, it, the the main thing for me was just to have a character that was hopefully relatable to a lot of, like, kids out there. Like, not just Hmong kids, mm -hmm. not just Asian kids, but, um, um, you know, a lot of kids who, who feel like they don't fit in, who feel kind of like the weirdo, who, um, you know, just are just trying to figure out where they fit. And, and that's such an important aspect of just fantasy. There's a long tradition of that in fantasy in general. So, like, you know, really, you know, a lot of ways, this is something, and that accessibility and just, like, you know, you can see, I mean, heck, I could even see parts of when I was a kid in, in reading this, right? So, like, it is just that really accessible nature of the story that I think is, that's, that's another important part of this. Um, so I want to get to a couple more things. I also want to leave lots of time because we have a, we have a, definitely have a lot of folks out here, I'm sure I'm just bursting with questions, right? You all have questions? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but there are a few things I do want to talk about here. Um, what are some of the major themes in your works? So I, I mentioned in your bio, I noticed in your bio that you, you mentioned magic, manipulation, family. What, like, what are, are these like, so what, I guess what I'm trying to say is what are the kind of big themes and like what interests you about writing about these things? Like, what's funny is that I unintentionally wrote I unintentionally write like extremely similar premises and like that's not even like a conscious decision. Um, it's most of my stories are about these girls figuring, not sure where they fit in and figuring out where they belong and like coming into themselves. Um, and like that's, <laughs> I guess that was unintentionally like, you know, projecting or something. I don't know. Um, but like Forest of Souls, Gates of Thread and Stone, Paho and the Soul Stealer, they're all about these girls, you know, who don't quite, who feel like they don't quite fit in, or they feel like they have to hide themselves, they have to hide who they really are. Um, and figuring out, you know, through various different journeys, you know, that they all end up at the same place, which is that, you know, the who they are is enough. They, they, you know, they don't have to change themselves to fit into other people's um, idea of what they should be. That's just a terrific message, I think, at all times, but especially right now, I feel like just something that we definitely need. Um, all right, so, you know, I, I, you know let's, I, I got to ask, because I saw, a, a, you know, you mentioned Kingdom Hearts earlier. <laughs> um, I found a biography, I was doing my research. Uh, you're, you're a part-time gamer, so I got to ask, as someone who is also a part-time gamer, would love to be full-time, not happening, um, what are you playing? I play World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft. Uh, so how long have you been? How long classic. have you been? A, classic. Classic. So going all the way back. So you've been. I'm guessing you've been at this since like pretty much the beginning. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> Pull in up a chair. College. <laughs> my husband started playing World of Warcraft way back when Classic was literally just what was available. Mm -hmm. um, and then you know, so I was watching him play it, and I was like, that looks really fun. So, and then um, the Burden Crusade, I'm going to throw out a bunch of words that mean nothing to you guys if you don't know World of Warcraft, sorry. Um, the Burden Crusade came out, and I was just like, that's cool, and that's when I started playing, too. Okay. And then I played 
a ton for like a year and got no writing done that year at all. <laughs> and, and yeah, it was, it was really bad. Um, and then, you know, there was another couple expansions and then we quit because we're just, I don't know. We're, it, this was way back when you had to like buy discs mm. and like download them onto your computer. Um, and we didn't have like computers that, or laptops or, and desktops that could um, handle all the new mm -hmm. expansions. So we're just like, yes, we're done. You know? So we quit for like 10 years. And then um, Blizzard announced that they were releasing Classic. And we're just like, oh my God, we have to get on this. So my husband and I, you know, resubscribed and we found our old characters and we're like, all right, we're in. And right. we have been in it for like two years now. Um, so yeah, that. Okay. And then I also... So I got to ask just real quick, okay. Horde or Alliance? Horde. Okay. What do you yeah. play? I, I, I actually don't. I did play... I, I, was, I had a Night Elf for a little while. Oh. Oh. Sorry. That the was super in judgmental. Your voice. Oh. <laughs> I liked playing them in Warcraft 3. They're my favorite race. So I'm no, no, no. Make... Night Elves are great. I'm yeah. just like... That was uh, for the Alliance. Mm, okay. <laughs> sorry. I, I have Horde, no real allegiance. I just thought the Night Elves were cool. But okay. anyway, no, yes, please continue. Cool. Sorry. Um, yeah, and then Kingdom Hearts, obviously. Yeah. I played Kingdom Hearts 2 when I was in college, and then, like, Kingdom Hearts 3 came out just a couple years ago or something, and I was like, I have been literally waiting my mm -hmm. entire adult life for this game to come out. Ugh, I'm going to be, like, 80 by the time the next one comes out. Will I even be able to see the screen to play it? I don't know. <sighs> But yes, but luckily she's <laughs> like she's dying over there because she yeah. knows she understands. The, the pain is real. The pain is real. Yeah, I, I I did play that third one. I I don't remember anything that happened in the other ones. I'm like I'm completely lost, but I'm having fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and then I got my daughter to yeah. to um, play it too, and she she became the moderator of a Kingdom Hearts like Discord, and oh I was God. like stupidly proud. I was like my daughter you should be yes, the geek I've always wanted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's too bad you can't put the Discord up on the fridge or something, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and then, it, funny story, my, my sister-in-law, she asks, does your daughter have a boyfriend? I'm like, when would she have time to have a boyfriend? And she literally just told me she watched over 100 hours of Kingdom Hearts, like, you know, um, cut scenes yeah, the lore in, order she could, in order to, like, earn some weird emojis in Discord or something. I was like, when would she have I time to have a boyfriend? Her. I love this for her. I think that's terrific. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, Kingdom Hearts 4, I think, is coming eventually. So they've, they've got they've got, But they've got out. lots of different games, I'm sure, in yeah. the meantime. Too. Oh, there's gonna, they're going to have, like, Kingdom Hearts three, 33 and a third us. divided by pi, birth <laughs> by rebirth or something like that. Right. Um, yeah, I just, I just like when Donald Duck does stuff. He's great. Big fan have of you, Donald Have Duck. you seen, like, the footage of, like... The um, new one? of um, the, the new Kingdom Hearts that they're, that yeah. it's years and years in the future, but yeah. like they've released some like footage of like Sora. Yeah, he's like in, in a more modern time right. and it might I be don't the like one it. from, I don't, I don't, I, it depends. So I'm, I like, I love The World Ends With You. I think that's kind of what they're building toward a little bit. But I, I mean, that that's the implication of that world. I don't know. It's all just, they're going to go on whatever adventure they're going to go on. I'm just wondering like, are they going like, to give you like a lightsaber keyblade? Disney owns like most of culture right <laughs> now. True. <laughs> When's that coming? When do I get to roll around Tatooine and fight Boba Fett or whatever? Um, I don't know. These are the things I think about. Um, 
Yeah, so cool. So uh, I do want to ask where we have, uh, we turn things over to the crowd, and we could probably just talk about this for a very long time. Oh, yeah. um, but uh, what's next for you? What kind of books can fans who are both maybe new or returning expect to see soon? Um, so the sequel to Bahoa will hopefully come out next year, which means I should probably finish writing it. Um, <laughs> Might be a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> My editor doesn't like me right now. Um, <laughs> and then the third book in the Forest of Souls, the Shaman Born series, will hopefully also be out next week. And that editor also hates me. Sure. So, yes. So, a lot to look forward to, both for the fans and for your editors. Yes. Yeah. Well put. Yes. Um, it's it's going to be a fun journey we'll all go on together. So, very cool. Uh, well, I want to just open up the floor for Q&A. Uh, I know we got a pretty good turnout here. We got folks with questions. So, if you want to ask Lori a question, if you wouldn't mind just kind of coming up to the microphone here, um, and uh, so we can get you both recorded and also so folks can hear you. So, uh, don't be shy. Step right up. Oh, see, now you've, like, put them on no. the spot. You, you can talk more about Kingdom Hearts if we have to. We can we fill didn't that even time. get into Genshin. No. Oh, you do Genshin Impact, too? Yes. I tried that. I couldn't get very far in that. Um, I don't have the gumption. <laughs> yes. I mean, I could also talk more about Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I've heard that, unfortunately, it's not going to be Shibuya related. The, the, the Shibuya is a similar but different Shibuya. It still has 10.4 instead of 109. But the, oh. um, anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry for continuing the geek on. What's your favorite Kingdom Hearts character? Sora. Sora. I oh, love fair. Sora. My dog is named Sora. Oh, that's, that's a good name for a dog. <laughs> yeah. He's I a little shih tzu. <laughs> and then my sister has another shih tzu, and he's named Riku. Oh. Okay. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. You had a cat named Xanort. Are we doing <laughs> that? <laughs> I, don't I, don't, I don't know. I, like I said, I like when Donald Duck does magic, because I think that's inherently funny. I do too. Yeah. He's just like Sora. Yes. Sora. Like, Sora. I, I can't do it. Sora. That's, that's more of a goofy. Oh. <laughs> I do have all those little figurines. It's, they're fun. Please come on up. Hi. So I'm kind of wondering when you make an outline, I know you said it's really detailed, but how often do you find that it deviates from the outline as you write? Um, very often, actually. Like, I, I feel like the the objection I see the most to outlining is feeling confined by the outline. Um, but I don't see it as like, you know, I have to follow everything I wrote down. I mean, it's your outline, do whatever you want with it. But I need to know where I'm heading. Um, I have to see the destination in order to get there, basically. Um, and that's, so I just use it like a roadmap. I write it um, so that I know where I'm going. And also, it helps me see the larger picture before I actually have to write the book because I would hate to get like 50,000 words into a book and realize there's this massive plot hole that would have been resolved had I just outlined it first. So I don't like that like wasted work, basically. I have a friend who she literally, her process is literally writing and rewriting and rewriting like the beginning, like literally... 10 to 20 to 30,000 words before she gets to the right start. She'll just write 10 to 20,000 words. She'll be like, no, this isn't right. And she has to start over again. I'm like, oh my God, how are you doing that? Um, I can't do that. Um, I, I don't have the time for that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I outline um, 
and it's, it's just my roadmap. And there are lots of times where I will be like, actually, this is, I don't like this, and I'll just completely change it. This isn't gonna work. As I'm writing it, I realize, you know, the world that I've established has deviated a bit from what I wanted when I initially did the outline, and so I have to like stop and modify my outline and do all that kind of stuff before I continue. Does that help? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. You're allowed to tell me no. <laughs> Do you have another question? Go for it. Okay. Um, so I guess I was just wondering, when you're writing young adult versus middle grade, how do you find, I guess, the difference between those two on like a prose level? How do you say, okay, here's how I'm going to write this versus middle grade? Um, even as just as far as character voice, I'm not sure if that question makes sense. Um, you know, I'm not even sure how to respond to that, um, because I, like, for YA, like I said, my, I feel like my noise, my voice, my writing voice naturally skews YA, and so with, with the middle grade, um, I think on a prose level, like I said before, it's not dumbing it down, but you also have to realize that, you know, 10, 11 year olds are not going to know certain words, so you just write it in a slightly like different way. Um, or when, wait, that's not prose level. I was gonna say, like, like observations, you know, kids are gonna see things differently versus, you know, um, slightly older people. But yeah, on the prose level, like I said, just, um, this, see, this is why that I, I figured I would never write middle grade because I just don't know, you know? Like, I had to listen to uh, middle grade audiobooks for a month straight before I wrapped my head around that voice. Um, and, and it really is just like finding, you know, the child inside you to be a complete cliche. But, but and also, it varies from author to author. You know, there are some authors who write middle grade in a very more um, simplified way, and I don't want to, like, simplify, simplified not as in worse or bad or all, just, you know, simpler. Um, and then there are authors who write middle grade with, with a lot bigger words, you know, um, because kids, it's true that kids, you know, are, all, are on all different levels, even at that age. Um, like, even Harry Potter, you know, the very first Harry Potter book, there's a lot of, like, concepts and words and complex things in, going on in that book, and it's geared towards, you know, a middle-grade audience. So it, it'll really vary. And, and I don't want to say, you know, don't, don't worry too much about, like, the prose, because I feel like much less than the prose, it is the characters' thoughts and, and like, um observations and how they, they handle situations that make it a middle grade versus the actual prose. Thank you. These are great questions so far. Keep them coming. Anybody else got a question? Come on up. Yep. Uh, it's a bit of a journey to come up here. <laughs> <laughs> and the mic's a little too high. Yeah. There you go. Okay. I have a couple questions. Sure. So the first one was, what were your parents' reaction? Because like you said, the elders are kind of protective about the culture. So I'm kind of curious, because you did dedicate to your mom. I am incredibly lucky, I think, that my mom has always been really, really supportive about whatever I wanted to do. Um, she, she just displays my book in her house, and she doesn't read it because it's not her thing. And 
but she's just, she's still proud. <laughs> she just displays it. Um, uh, my dad actually died when I was very young, so I grew up with, um, with just my mom. Um, so my brothers actually sort of played that paternal role. And my brother was like, if you like writing, you know, why don't you write about the Hmong history, you know, like all that, whatever. And, and I was like, I don't want to because, first of all, there's plenty of that out there already. Um, almost, that, that, that's almost all there is out there, you know, like, especially when I was, um, you know, growing up, like the only books available about Hmong characters and Hmong culture were history. And it was all about, you know, the war and um, refugees and dying and death and terrible things happening. And I didn't want to write that. I wanted to write fantasy and joy and happy endings, you know. Um, uh, and those books are really important and they have a place, you know, in, in um, schools and libraries. And it's important for us to know that history. But I think it's also important for us to just have books where we're allowed to be kids and we're allowed to just have fun and you know just like I said go on that hero's journey um so my brother he I think I feel like that's the only time he ever criticized me for for um you know what I chose to write but other other than that you know my family has is really supportive they sort of just let me do what I want to do which is like great but also my mom raised me to be like, to just do what I want to do basically. Um, because she never, she, she was never confined, you know, by, uh, I guess the expectations of women in, in our culture. Um, so I learned that from her and that was great. But like, I did have very, very stern uncles, you know? And um, I think that's where my fear of like the backlash of the community would come from from my uncles because they always criticized me in terms of like, oh, you can't speak Hmong very well. Why are you speaking English? Speak Hmong. Um, you know, I tried going to a writing, Hmong writing um, classes when I was younger and the instructors were just very critical, you know, because I wasn't picking it up right away because I wasn't fluent already. Um, and so they were critical of, instead of like, you know, encouraging whatever, because I was just a kid. I, I was very young, and so that really put me off, and I never went back, you know, so like, um, and, and just, just that, the memory of those multiple times that I was mocked as a kid by my own relatives because I couldn't speak certain, the language, or because I didn't understand certain customs, you know, that was, that was, that, that was definitely part of the fear of, you know, me going into this book. Um, but again, like I said, I was just, I was just like, you know, I'm just going to do it anyway, because that was my experience and I wanted to put it into a book and maybe it's someone else's experience too. Um, how long did it take to research like the folklore and culture for Kwakwa? Because I know you mentioned like the house spirits and Ningo Shopa and a whole bunch of other stuff. Yes. Like a lot of that was stuff that I knew just from like my brothers telling me, um, when we were younger, you know, and I, I loved those uh, where we would just sit and my brother would tell me um, oral folk tales, Hmong folk tales, like filled with ghosts and vengeful spirits and tiger spirits. And it was a lot of fun. Um, but 
our stories are so fluid, you know, everyone knows a different version of the same story you know, because they're told orally. So I was, I, I was really lucky in that the Appleton um, Library has a whole section that's just Hmong history and literature, which is very cool, and I recommend you all check it out. But I was able to find several books in there that compiled um, some folk tales and things, and so I read voraciously through that, and I was very excited to find you know stories that I wasn't familiar with. Um, and that took maybe oh, a couple months. Um, and although I had like the premise of this idea in my head, I didn't really know what the story was. And going through the research as I was reading all these folk tales and like you know learning more, that's when the the shape of the story began taking you know be, began coming together because I didn't know all these elements and all these spirits creatures and all this stuff until I was reading about it. You know, I was just like, okay, so. So that's how I was, you know, building the world, basically. I was just taking pieces from all these folk tales and, like, throwing it together and molding it into a story. And my last one was I actually started reading, and then I decided to read the audio or listen to the audio book. And I knew there were going to be Hmong words in there. Did you provide the pronunciation for them in the audio book? I didn't because I would embarrass myself. Um, but my sister-in-law, who is fluent, provided the pronunciations. Oh, and I have listened to the audiobook, and it's all right. The, 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 her pronunciation of the Hmong words is all right. You know, um, she is Asian. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, I think she's Thai. Um, so the, they did, Disney made the effort to, like, you know, get an Asian um, narrator, um, which was great. Um, but, yeah, she's not Hmong, so her pronunciation of the words was a little, they were fine. I would say they were just fine. Because, like you said before, it is it is a difficult language mm -hmm. with like you know the different tones and that kind of stuff. Thank you. Thank you. I believe we have time for another question or two. So, if anybody else wants to come up and ask one, feel free. I was um, actually starting to wonder. It's like, how much uh, say do you have on who reads the audiobook? It depends on the publisher. Um, like for Forest of Souls. I was given uh, a couple options. They sort of, um, and then I just picked the one that I liked, which was great. And then with um, Rick Riordan Presents, um, yeah, luckily they also provided me with a couple of options, like a couple of um, reader samples. Actually, the, the narrators like read the first chapter and like I was able to listen to each of them do it and all of them pronounced me wrong. <laughs> But I wouldn't expect them to, to know just by looking at the word. Um, but, but yeah, then I was able to select a narrator that way too. Like I don't get to be like, I want this person, mm -hmm. but I do get like A, B, C, D, a choice, you know, it's, which is great. Yeah. Um, is it frustrating you don't get, because you know, you said that um, the person that you got from one of them was Asian, but not Hmong. Is that frustrating to not even have that as really as an option? Um, no, not really. I mean, it, it would have been uh, very cool for them to find a Hmong narrator who could do it, but I think the one who did is, she's lovely, you know? She, um, 
And I don't want to be a jerk. Like, everyone's struggling in this uh, um, industry, you know? Everyone's trying to, you know, make their way. And I, I can't imagine it's very easy to get these audiobook gigs. Um, so she was lovely. She did a great job. Thank you. All right, so uh, in the interest of time, we're going to go ahead and start to wrap things up. That will just about do it for this live episode of Serious Fun from the 2022 Brown County Library PopCon. Thank you again to our fantastic guests. Just been an absolute delight talking to you and meeting you. Lori M. Lee, so round of applause, big cheers, whoops, hollers. Thank you. And let's just go ahead and keep that energy going for the librarians and staff here at Brown County Library. Libraries are an absolute, absolute public good that help and yes. serve and entertain us in so many ways. So as you're enjoying PopCon today, please take a moment to let the library staff know you appreciate them. Starting right now. And on a personal note, also don't forget to check out Serious Fun and other Phoenix Studios shows at uwgb.edu forward slash podcast. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Serious Fun and other, our other shows on your podcast platform of choice. Thank you again, Lori. <laughs> And enjoy the rest of PopCon. Thank you so much. Thank you. You just listened to a Phoenix Studio production, the podcast network for the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, please visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts.